Good morning. We have got to really move along today because the preacher's got seven and a half pages. So, pay attention, all right? We've been examining 1 Corinthians 13, and this is a passage that teaches us how to get along with other people. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 reads, among other things, love is not rude. J.B. Phillips paraphrases this verse, love practices good and polite manners. Now, this is a much needed passage, especially for Christians, because we're going to impact our world in direct proportion to our love for the people that we are privileged to influence and encourage. You know, the world's not going to pay much attention to a message about the need for absolute values or the need to surrender to Jesus Christ as a source of peace and salvation unless it is crystal clear that we believers care about them. Bob Russell was a retired pastor of Southeast Christian Church, and he tells about right down the street from their church was a, a, a very popular restaurant. And it was frequented there by many of the Southeast uh, members. And a young man who also was a member of the church, he happened to work at that particular restaurant. And so he sent Bob a letter asking that he preach more on generosity. <laughs> and then he said this, he said, I've been trying to invite a number of my co-workers at the restaurant to come to church with me, and they really need it. And I've bragged about our church, but on a regular basis, there is a group from the church who comes in and they laugh, and they fellowship, and they take up a lot of seats, and they stay a long time, and then they leave about a 5% tip. He says, it is really hard for me to witness to my coworkers when that happens. Somebody's written, courtesy is made up of all kinds of little sacrifices. In Colossians 4, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, you be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Listen to this. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, it's no secret that in our world, the people that you most of the time probably hang out with are not enamored with Christianity. And now more than ever, we Christians have to earn the right to be heard and listened to as a challenge for us. And the way we do this is by treating other people, especially outsiders, graciously. Now, I know probably 95% of you do this. Amen? So it's the 5% who are not lying that I want to talk to today. You know, we have a golden opportunity to be a sharp contrast to this old world. We do that by loving our neighbors, ourselves, and being polite in the way we treat people. All this is understandable. And the world needs it because we have a real problem with rudeness in our society today. An article appeared in a while back in the Wall Street Journal said, Whatever happened to common courtesy? The author wrote, People talk during the national anthem. They shout and interrupted graduations. They weave in and out of funeral processions. They cut in line at amusement parks. They interrupt private conversations. Special interest groups are deliberately abrasive and shouting obscene slogans. U.S. News and World Report also had an article. That, here's the title of it. Why People Are Rude 
and how it harms our society. Now, I think there are several reasons why uh, people are more rude maybe than in the past. One, I think, is just simply pressure. When stress increases, so does our rudeness. Have you noticed that? I mean, if you doubt that, you've probably never been at a board meeting when the stakes are really high or at a ball game when the game's really, really close and you listen to all the hateful language of the fans, you know. But I think also a part of the reason for rudeness is selfishness. We are a selfish people. You understand what I mean when I say that? We kind of look out for ourselves pretty fast, pretty easily. One of the inevitable byproducts of the me generation is rudeness. We're obsessed with our individual rights and not too concerned about anybody else's. And we're polite only when there's an obvious personal benefit. And then another contributing factor is lack of education. Now, here's a trip down memory lane for many of you. How many of you had drilled into you as uh, uh, you were a child, drilled into you by your parents, these phrases? Are you ready? Sit up straight. Don't talk with your mouth full. Say, yes, sir. No, sir. Don't speak until you're spoken to. Ladies first. Those are fighting words today, by the way. (laughs) Say, please and thank you. Be on time. Don't blow your nose at the table. Cover your mouth when you sneeze. Respect your elders. And they have so popular one, and don't run in church. (laughs) I don't know how many times I heard that when I was growing up. Many of us here today have heard these things so much that I think we, you know, really have forgotten maybe some of them. They're so familiar. But these behaviors are rarely taught by parents anymore. And as a result, a lot of people are just ignorant of basic manners. And then one other factor that's a major contributor to the rise of rudeness is the influence of our media today. So many of the uh, so-called role models and popular entertainers of today are not what you consider courteous, especially to other people. They're not very polite. Just the opposite. And the result is then that rudeness has become the norm in our world. A poll was taken recently, and here are the top six examples of rudeness. People who honk their horn in traffic when there's absolutely nothing anybody can do. People who take up two spaces in a crowded parking lot so their car doesn't get dented by your doors. People who interrupt you when you're talking. People who text on their phone and don't listen to you when you're talking. People who use constant profanity in every conversation. People who have, people who have called the wrong number and then they get angry with you because you're not the party they're looking for. I heard of a preacher that got a phone call from some guy who asked, is Molly there? And the preacher says, sir, I think you got the wrong number. Nobody named Molly lives here. And the guy just abruptly hung up without saying he was sorry or anything. But about 10 seconds later, phone rang again. Says, Molly there? And the preacher said, you know, I think you have the wrong number. And the guy said, are you sure? And the preacher said, have I ever lied to you before? Now, rudeness is not confined to the world. 
Sometimes the home can be the birthplace of disrespect. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Show proper respect to everyone. And that everyone includes the people that we live with. Why is it that the people we love the most, we think we can treat the worst sometimes? The home, which should be a refuge of consideration, can sometimes be just a nest for nastiness. And it should not be. There was an article that appeared in a popular magazine entitled, How the Husband Reacts to His Wife's Cold in the First Six Years of Marriage. Now, if any of you are fairly newly married, don't be discouraged about what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> All right. Year number one. Sugar dumpling, I'm so worried about my baby girl. You got a bad sniffle there, and there's no telling about these things with all the germs around us. And I'm putting you in the hospital now for a general checkup and good rest. And I'll bring you meals because you know the hospital food is just not always that great, you know. You're number two. Now listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called the doctor. He's going to rush over here. Now you go to bed right now. Be a good girl. You're number three. Maybe you better lie down, honey. There's nothing like a little rest when you feel bad. And I'll fix you something to eat. Have we got any Campbell's soup? You're number four. Look, dear, be sensible. After you feed the kids and get the kitchen cleaned up, you really need to go to bed. You're number five. You don't look so good. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? And you're number six. If you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal... Now, we start out on marriages with good intentions, but over time, we can become so accustomed to each other, we abandon basic courtesies and acts of kindness. The third chapter of James, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And again, as we're seeing in our text today, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not rude. It's to be considerate and thoughtful. But rudeness is sometimes a problem in the church. You know what's sad? The church really ought to be a poster child for compassion to the world. People ought to be able to look at the church and say, wow, it's obvious that these people really do care about each other. But sometimes... Rudeness can enter into the door of the church. A group of preachers got together one time, and they compiled and then voted on the top seven examples of rudeness that were frequently encountered in the church. Number one, people who write anonymous letters. People who allow their child to disturb the entire worship service and never take the child out. Number three, people who leave the service during the invitation time. Number four, people who sit on the end of the row and make everybody crawl across them. Number five, people who disregard the visitors after the service and focus only on their close friends. Number six, people who dominate a discussion in a class or small group. And then number seven, people who write anonymous notes complaining about the preacher and sign it in Christian love. <laughs> now, that's just sinful. That's just sinful. 1 John 4, 8 reads... Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, in Luke, the seventh chapter, 
Jesus gives us an incredibly awesome example of courtesy. And his politeness stands in really, really sharp contrast to the rudeness of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Simon had invited Jesus to his place for dinner, which seems like a courteous thing to do. But it does not appear that he invited Jesus because he wanted to become better acquainted with him. Maybe he was just patronizing Jesus. Maybe maybe he's just a person who liked to be seen hanging out with celebrities. We don't know his mind. We don't have that. All we have is the text. But most likely, Simon invited Jesus into his home in order to to kind of entrap him in some kind of difficult question to make Jesus look bad in front of his friends. But whatever the reason, Simon failed to extend the basic courtesies, the basic expressions of hospitality to Jesus. In other words, he was a lousy host. William Barclay wrote, When a guest entered your home in that time, there were three things that were always done, absolutely done. The host first places uh, his hand on the guest's shoulder and gives them the kiss of peace. That would be a mark of respect, but it was never omitted in the case of a distinguished rabbi. Since the roads were also just dirt tracks, number three, you know, cool water would be poured over the feet of the guests to cleanse and to comfort them. And then number three, either a pinch of sweet-smelling incense was burned or a drop of perfume of roses was placed on the guest's head. Now, these are things sound odd to us, but good manners in that day demanded that they be done, but they were not done for Jesus. Simon didn't wash Jesus' feet. He did not provide water for him to wash his own feet. He did not give him the kiss of blessing, and he poured no perfume on his head. But Jesus Christ was so gracious in response. I mean, even though Simon was rude, Jesus didn't storm out of the house or he didn't rebuke Simon for his lack of refinement. Instead, he just ignored the ill-mannered host and went on with the meal. But then something most unusual occurred. Look at verse 37. A woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, keep in mind, in that time, people did not sit at chairs at tables like we do with our feet under the table. That was not the way it was done. Here's a picture of what it would have looked like. And you can see the disciples there, are, they're, 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 laying, they're leaning, but their feet are away from the table. They're actually resting on their elbow. This was most common. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, Jew, this woman doing all these things to Jesus, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she's a sinner. Now again, the rudeness of Simon is so evident to us. I mean, he doesn't approach Jesus with this concern. He mumbles to himself and his other group of friends there criticizing that Jesus was so accepting. And at this point, Jesus politely asked Simon for permission to tell a story. 
and it was granted. Verse 41. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. lender and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them do you think would love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon, you see this woman here? You know, I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you, you did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on me. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, from this story, there's four lessons I want us to see. Lesson number one is you need to know the basic rules of etiquette. When some of us have traveled to Israel and on mission trips, you know, we were briefed on a lot of things. But some of the things we were briefed on were etiquette. How do you travel out of the country of America and not get into all kinds of trouble when you travel somewhere else? Americans can be extremely arrogant and difficult when they don't get what they want. And if we want to influence anyone, especially in another culture, we need to know the rules and respect the guidelines of etiquette. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.19, listen to this, Though I am free, he said, I belong to no man, but I make myself a slave to everyone in order to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And then he said this, I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Now, we need to know the basic rules of etiquette for our society so that we represent Jesus Christ well. This whole series is a very practical series for us because you don't spend all your days during the week hanging out here at church like some of us do. No, you have jobs and you've got situations and you've got school. And so you're out among the public a whole lot more than just the time we're together here on a Sunday morning. And we need to know how to respond. Now, you've got to be careful. We, we don't want to take it to extreme, but we've all seen people who are rigid about protocol. Now, we shouldn't swing to the other extreme either, though, and expect the world to just accept our ways, right, wrong, or indifferent. Somebody has noted, rudeness is the weak man's imitation of strength. Now, I think he's right. But you and I are concerned, if we're concerned at all about influencing people with the gospel and influencing for Jesus, then we've got to learn how to avoid turning them off so that we can turn them on to the gospel. That's lesson one. You've got to know these basic rules. Then lesson two, you've got to work at putting other people at ease. And that's why this story from the Gospels is so amazing to me. Jesus modeled that for us in this story. 
Here he is, the perfect son of God. Yet he did not intimidate this sinful woman. And she gravitated towards him. She felt at ease in his presence. You know, a good host is one who makes you feel wanted and comfortable. Someone has said there are two kinds of people who walk into a room. The first person says, here I am. And the second person says, there you are. Big difference. And if you want to make a difference, if you want to put other people at ease, then you focus on them, not yourself. Ask questions about their area of interest without putting them on the spot. And this is especially important to those who have positions of influence. Jesus said, whoever's the greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. And then number three, we've got to learn not to be so easily offended. There's something that impresses me about Jesus in this story is that he did not respond to the neglect with an attack. You know, he didn't get all worked up, wasn't all offended because Simon was disrespecting him, and he wasn't shocked by the prostitute's melodramatic display. No, this tells us something. We should not be one of those people who get our feelings all hurt easily all the time. That should not be the, the characteristic of a Christian. Don't make people walk on eggshells around you. Don't wear a chip on your shoulder. If someone doesn't introduce you appropriately or seat you at the right place or aggravate you about being from Kentucky. Don't get all worked up. Don't get all excited about it. Proverbs 19.11 reads, A man's wisdom gives him patience, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. One of the quickest ways to make people uncomfortable around you is wear your feelings all over your sleeve. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. And then finally, be tactful with the truth. You know, eventually Jesus did confront Simon with the truth about his attitude. I mean, he didn't want the Pharisee to get away with this, without this opportunity to change. You know, sometimes the rudest thing you and I can do is to just not say anything. We're eating a meal with a friend, and he's got a big chunk of spinach between his teeth, and, you know, you usually say, hey, buddy, you know, you need to take care of that. But, you know, we've got to do things tactfully. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Christians are always instructed to speak the truth, but we speak it in love, gentleness. And Jesus was amazing at this. You know, somebody said tact is when somebody tells you to jump off a cliff and uh, you look forward to the journey. That's tact. Someone else has said tact is relational lubrication. It minimizes friction among people. And our Lord Jesus was the greatest at this. He knew that Simon the Pharisee needed to be confronted, but he did it gently. He didn't say, you know, Simon, you're impolite and you're an uncultured hypocrite and you don't have a compassionate bone in your bodies and you're going to burn in hell. No, Jesus never spoke that way to anybody. He just quietly asked him, Simon, who loves the most? The man who's been forgiven a huge debt or the one who's been forgiven a little one? Verse 43 says, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And, and Jesus said, you have judged correctly. 
But then he asked him, do you know why this woman loves so much? It's probably because she's sinned more than you, Simon. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I would like to think that in the silence that followed that question, if Simon had any character at all about him, he would have bowed his head and confessed, you know, Jesus, you're right. Hers are the sins of the flesh, but mine are the sins of the Spirit. I've been proud and arrogant and disrespectful. We don't know that that's what was said, but it would be nice if it had been. Do you know what the rudest person, rudest thing a person could ever do in life is? You know what it is? It's to reject the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The God of heaven inconvenienced himself to come to this world and take all of our abuse and then go to the cross and die for our sins and for us to thumb our nose at him and say, you know, I really don't care much about that. Simon had Jesus in his house, yes, but he did not have Jesus in his heart. So please never mistake his gentleness as a lack of resolve. Someday we will all be accountable to him. And the wisest thing for us to do is, like this woman, fall at his feet and admit, I'm a sinner. It may be more the sins of the Spirit, maybe than the sins of the flesh. It doesn't really matter either way. We must acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and how he will want to, how we will absolutely want him to hear him say, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Heavenly Father, we are so, so embarrassed before you at some of the ways that we act and the things that we say. But Father, we are also so overwhelmingly grateful that you love us in spite of all these sins. You, in, in spite of our sins, you came to this earth because of our sins to restore us and redeem us, that we might have a relationship with you and the Father forever. So help us always remember as we go out into the public of our ministry area and wherever we are in our jobs and going to classrooms, help us remember that we Christians walk and talk. Help us, help us so remember that people are watching what we say and what we do. And may you always be glorified and may we be humble enough to treat people gently and lovingly as you have treated us. Father, we love you. We'll go around this table now to have a, our communion and a time of, of listening to your heart speak to ours. And as we take these emblems, may we remember what they stand for and to have this time of quietness for a moment just to thank you for the grace that you have bestowed freely upon your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.